All right, welcome back to the Fitness Retention Podcast. We're here with uh, my best friend, actually, Alex Korczynski. Um, Alex is not in the fitness world, so this is going to be super interesting and probably confusing because we're both named Alex. <laughs> um, but I'm going to let Alex introduce himself and hopefully the listeners will kind of understand why I thought he would be a really good person to have on the show. So go ahead. Cool. So I am also Alex. I have known other Alex here since kindergarten, I think. Um, <clears throat> I used to work at Script. Um, I was a product manager focusing on retention. Uh, Script is a product that allows people to read books and audiobooks. It's a membership-based model. Um, we have people come, we have people leave. And uh, when I heard Alex was working on retention in gyms, I thought there might be some parallels with the tech world. Um, I also have worked out on occasion for the last 10 years, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, Alex and I trained together one time when I tried to gain 20 pounds of muscle in three months. Mm -hmm. I gained 20 pounds, whether they were all muscle, it was debatable. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, you've been here before. This is my house. Yes. Yeah, I've been here. Some of these are my books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so let's just start off with the basics. When you're looking at retention from something outside of the fitness industry, which is something that obviously I know about and that the listeners are interested in, how do you approach solving the problem of retention with what you were working on specifically? Cool. So let's just define retention as how many people stay Okay. Um, each month. Okay. So um, the reason retention is important is because that's money. That's for script, that's $9 a month. Okay. And it's significantly more challenging to get more people to come in than it is to get them to stay, I would say. So um, immediately one thing we started trying to do was trying to figure out actions that correlated with people leaving or mm -hmm. people staying. Um, so a really obvious one, for example, is if you view the cancellation flow, you're probably more likely to leave mm -hmm. um, than if you don't view it, just by definition. Yeah. Uh, there are some other subtle ones, like the number of days you would come back to the service and read, the total amount of time you spent reading, whether you got significantly far in a portion of the book, mm -hmm. um, whether you read multiple different content types or you used the most out of the service. Um, mm -hmm. We would look at areas where people were dropping off and spot areas for opportunity, and then mm -hmm. you use your own intuition as a product manager, someone who uses um, the internet, that looks for design, um, to actually improve those areas. And that's kind of how we started. So already there's like five questions that I want to ask you, but I want to start with when you said it's easier for people to, it's easier to attract people than to keep people. Is that what you said? Or is it the other way around? Easier for, to keep than to attract? Um, it's more profitable, I think, to keep people. Yes. Yeah. When, when you look at that, is it easier for script or a similar service to attract someone and then to provide like an excellent experience and keep them like do you have a problem with acquisition or do you have a problem with retention script wanted to focus on retention okay acquisition wasn't our issue okay so i think that that's a like a really easy parallel to look at is like there's always people coming through the door of a gym if you have a decent marketing team or you outsource it or whatever so that element of it seems really similar. Sure. Also, tracking usage and behavior, extremely similar. Like if someone's coming three times a week and then all of a sudden they're coming once a week, you want to have those kind of like 
leading indicators of exiting behavior. So how do you, how did you encourage someone or basically like poke someone into increasing their usage and increasing their like staying behaviors versus their leaving behaviors? Sure. So I think there's a couple, let's call it three different places. Okay. You can do that. Uh, I think the one, my hypothesis as a product manager, which we saw a couple different times, was that the best way to convince someone to stay three months from now is not three months from now, but on the very first day of their subscription. Um, and then possibly another way we could do it is if they've been absent for a while and mm -hmm. then they come back immediately they, when they come back, what does that experience look like? And then call it the third way is when they are thinking of canceling, how do you convince them to stay? But oftentimes the percentage of people who start the cancellation flow and end up actually canceling is quite high. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the people you've already lost by then. Yeah. But by far, I thought the most effective thing to do was day one. So can you, so something that I don't know a lot about, I mean, I was never a user of Scribd, but let's say someone was absent for a month and then they came back. How do you enhance the experience? So um, it's subtle, right? Because you can do things that um, are implicit. Like mm -hmm. you can try to recommend them a new book that's come on the service, which is just kind of subtle. It's just going to be on your homepage. Yeah. You could do something. Um, so there's a concept in tech where it's, it's like a mortal. So mm -hmm. when you first come to something, this thing kind of pops up and you can X out of it. Yeah. And my theory was that you have basically five seconds on that first visit to convince them to stick around. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we would do is we would use that real estate to show what's changed since they came since they were last there mm -hmm. So what new, what new books have been added. So for example um, The time I was working there we got uh, the fire and fury book about Donald Trump mm -hmm. um, And that was a massive massive bestseller. It was all on script mm -hmm. So we would show that book and maybe a couple other ones that were really like ten pole big books big magazines big audiobooks you could check out mm -hmm. another thing that happened was that uh, we actually had a more favorable change to the service. So Scribd used to be, you could read three books and one audiobook a month. It changed to be unlimited. Mm -hmm. So actually the service was a better deal mm -hmm. since they last came. Um, so we try to showcase all the different things you could do with your subscription. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be something that was like very obvious. I think of like the equivalent of like a flyer in your yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then also just continually working to improve the service with all these different things. Uh, so recommendation, search. What percentage of people, I imagine there were like super users. Yeah. So what percentage of people would you say were like one standard deviation above the norm? So like typically gym goers will go to the gym to like 2.2 to 2.5 times a week, maybe three times a week. But there's people that go six times a week. And it doesn't necessarily make economic sense to have them there because right. they're taking up more square footage per dollar than someone who comes twice a week. Absolutely. So we have the same problem. Yeah. Okay. So you don't, I mean, it seems like you wouldn't want to discourage that because those people are oftentimes like maybe the people that refer people exactly. or bring people in. Right. So what percentage of people were actually like super users or took advantage of the unlimited to the fact or to the point where it was like no longer economic, economically feasible to keep them? So I don't know if I can throw out like specific numbers, but yeah. let's just say, let's just call it 10%. Okay. And one thing that I've been focusing a lot 
on recently when I talked to gym owners is your acquisition spend versus your retention spend, which I call kind of like a customer happiness spend every month. What's, I mean, you don't have to, again, give me direct numbers because I know you're not working there and like whatever, but what's the ratio roughly between acquisition and happiness or retention spend? Um, are we talking spend and like the amount of time and energy employees work on it or spend in terms of like what dollars? Dollar value. Dollars, so like you know, doing doing something like an ad campaign. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would. I mean, that would be in like acquisition. Right, but in but almost like a a campaign to get people to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really. Well, we didn't really spend direct money doing that necessarily, but we do things like we would focus more on email campaigns mm -hmm. for people who who were new subscribers, mm -hmm. and we'd focus a lot more of our product effort for people who were new subscribers. I think that's one of the big differences is that like I have this it's not a theory I have this belief that everything in fitness is emotional mm -hmm. and I don't think that everything on like an e-reader or a book purchase is emotional like I would I would disagree actually that's okay I would like to hear that <laughs> um, so we tried to figure out a lot about um, I didn't mean to interrupt no go I mean, um, you get my point know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we tried to figure out why someone would want to read. Because uh -huh. reading seems like it can seem somewhat transactional. You flip a page of a book. Yeah. Um, mm. But there's different motivations for reading. So some people read to escape. Like they want to read a fantasy book. They mm. have a long day of work. They just want to zone out. Yeah. Um, some people read um, for knowledge, like for a thirst for learning. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they would bring these certain emotional qualities to reading that were different for each person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what she might do for some people, we had a theory, for example, that a lot of people who dropped off early were just the transactional type. Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to figure out how, how do they become more emotionally invested in this service where you can read any book that you want, can learn more about any topic. Mm -hmm. um, so all of which is to say, maybe like it was more emotionless, but that was definitely something we were, we were coming to develop, hmm. try to focus on. So one thing that I think might be one opportunity that I see is real time feedback. So like you get out of an Uber, you rate the Uber five stars, four stars, whatever. You give a tip, you don't give a tip. I think that there's a big opportunity for you know, whether it's an app that a fitness company has or a service that they provide or like a third party service where as soon as you leave the gym, you get an option to leave a, like a star rating on how your experience was. Sure. I imagine that that's a big part of understanding your customers is actually getting feedback from them. Absolutely. So talk to me about how you gather that feedback, how reactively or proactively you're looking at that feedback. Okay, so I, I can think, I think of four different ways we got the feedback. Okay. Um, so first there was an email campaign. Mm -hmm. where sometimes we'd say like, hey, we'll give you $20 to a gift card to whatever. Yeah. If you fill out the survey. Yeah. And some stuff, there's like an MPS score. Mm -hmm. How likely are you recommending the service? Yeah. For what reasons? What could be better? Yeah. Basic five question question. Yeah. So that was one. Another would be like if there was an area of the product where we weren't sure why people were doing what they were doing, mm -hmm. we would ask, that would be an area where we'd actually ask for a survey. 
Mm -hmm. So for example, you could download a document. Yeah. Um, anyone can upload a document. Um, people can download. We had no idea why people were downloading. And this is a problem for script because they would take their document and it would just run. Uh -huh. But we had no idea, like, what if, what if we had a better offline reading experience? Mm -hmm. So that was an area where after the download, right away, we said, like, hey, why are you downloading this? Mm -hmm. What could we do to make this better? So that was the, the reason number two. Um, the third is that we would actually do in-person studies with people. That's what it's going to yeah. follow up with. Where we would have um, either subscribers or people who had recently left. Mm -hmm or people who fit a certain reading archetype, or people who weren't familiar with the service at all, mm -hmm. and ask them to walk us through what they were thinking and doing and feeling as they performed the key task. And then the last would be, as they were canceling, we would ask them for reasons on why they canceled. Mm -hmm. That someone on the customer service team and the data team would read through every week mm -hmm. and recommend these specific projects to the product team. Hmm. So, I am a big believer in like, I think surveys are great, mm -hmm. but they don't really paint a broad enough picture to actually understand what makes someone leave. Like in gyms, it's like price, location, uh, I'm moving, et cetera. Like it kind of puts you into a box that I don't think people are necessarily in. Like, I think there's a lot more to that box. So mm -hmm. for example, what is the, what did you learn from those interviews of watching people use it and getting kind of like their real time feedback? And then eventually we're going to transition this to fitness and like your experiences in fitness and the opportunities that are there for the fitness industry. So like, what did you learn from those experiences and maybe how can those translate? Actually, let's just start with what did you learn from those? Sure. Sure. Um, so me personally, First of all, you learn a ton of stuff about the future you're working on, mm -hmm. which like it's not going to be super relevant no. to us right no. now. But a, a tons of different things about you have these ideas about this thing you're building, mm -hmm. and some are right, some are wrong, mm -hmm. and it allows you to go back and change the things that you were a little bit off. Mm -hmm. I think the more important thing is that you actually have a real voice from which to design a product for. Mm -hmm. So you can say like Bob, the 35 year old mechanic who reads, you know books about tools but also loves i don't know uh john steinbeck books i was gonna say Henry, Henry, yeah. <laughs> uh would would approach the service from this way uh -huh. so instead of just thinking about designing a product for alex the 30 year old san francisco techie mm -hmm. you can you kind of get out of your own head and design it for your real customer because it's not always the same person mm -hmm. so i would say that was the biggest learning and then of course once like two three four or five people start to see the start to say the same thing mm -hmm. okay this is this is something we need to focus on and are you are you doing these things proactively like are you looking for are you trying to have other people kind of like poke holes in what you're doing before it becomes a problem or is this reactive both okay um I'd say the whole, the whole reason we were doing this was reactive, was because we saw the numbers, and basically it was like, well, if we improve acquisition by X percent, mm -hmm. we would get Y number of dollars. Mm -hmm. But if we improved retention by X percent, mm -hmm. so the same percentage, yeah. we would get Z dollars. And yeah. Z was much, much larger. Yeah. So there was much bigger opportunity to focus on retention. Yeah. And we also didn't really know why people and why people were staying. 
I got some ideas. That's like where we have to really start digging. So it, it, was, it was a reactive response to this larger problem that we would do it in our product proactively. Okay. That sense. So it's like a reactive response to data right. in your For financial data. In your proactive kind of as like a gut feeling. Right. That. Okay. Um, so I kind of want to transition to your experiences in fitness and you've been a member of, of different gyms. Talk to me about your experience. Like, let's start with like the sales cycle. When you joined a gym, you, and I know which gym you joined because we worked out there together sometimes, but like, let's say day one, you walk in, what is your experience like, if you can recall? What's the sales oh, process God. like? I, I, it's funny because this was what? five, six years ago, I think. Yeah, something like that. Um, okay, so before I started, it was the location and the price. Yeah. Because I was 23 when it happened. Yeah. Wanted to go right next to my work. Yeah. So that was the thing that got me into the game life. I remember, I remember sitting at a desk uh -huh. with some guy uh, telling me about how much the price of the gym was uh -huh. and then learning about all these other different fees if I did something. Um, so I remember learning a lot about the membership structure. I remember having this on paperwork. I think I got a free workout session, which was cool. And did you do that? Yeah, I did do the free workout session. Did you enjoy that? Yeah. I mean, I learned something from it. I didn't start paying for it, so mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy it. Okay. Um, well, I mean, the, the real goal with like onboarding is not to get you to pay, it's to get you to stay longer. Oh, so that's like, so funny, because I just thought the goal was to get you to buy some. So crappy gyms, in my experience, and in my opinion, only use that as a sales tool, right. and they don't really take in the long-term or like lifetime value of the member yeah. in that hour. I, rem I remember what the guy said to me. What? <laughs> He said, this is, this is the one retention pitch I remember. I think I asked something like, um, how do I, you know, it was something to effect of like, what should I do to keep staying in shape? Okay. And he said, you should, you should come when the cute girls are here. Oh. <laughs> he said like, between the hours of blank and blank, you're going to be more likely to come. So I know we, I'm not going to badmouth any brands, but I know where you went and I did seven tours at this same gym, this chain in San Francisco. And during the sales pitch, walking the floor, the dude said, so do you like to work out or talk to women? And it's just like, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, it wasn't very good advice. I've never, I've never met a, a woman at the gym in my entire life. Like, but like, how is that? I mean, that's a, like what you asked is a serious question. Right. Like you're telling him that your goal right. is to be here long term. Right. And the response from that isn't how do I actually set this person up for success and right. like keep them in the business and keep them a customer. Right. It's like a frat boy. Right. Like I was, he's like, this guy's 23. Like this is the only reason he's coming to the gym. Which, like, to be fair, it's, it wasn't, like, at that age, it wasn't that far off, but, like, it missed a whole chunk of my motivation to actually go to the gym. I mean, probably, like, well, okay, why were you going to the gym? Well, well I'll tell you 
why I should have been going to the gym in retrospect and it's to keep, keep, keep me in good health from the back. Yeah. Like that's, that's the underlying reason is that back injury needs to stay in shape that. But when you were 23, what was your? Wanting to look good. Mm-hmm. Um, like the feeling after working out. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like, that's an easy sell. And, you know, you signed up, so obviously, like, mission accomplished right. to a certain extent, right. but... I had no, like, allegiance. Yeah. So it wasn't like, wow, this was a great meeting with this person. They understand no. why I'm here. <laughs> okay, so once you join, what's the post-purchase experience like for you? And, like, I'm going to refer to you as, like, a lay person because sure. you're not, like, a fitness enthusiast. This isn't, like, a big part of your life. No. So... What is that experience? You pay them. What is it from there on? You had your free session. Honestly, all I remember is uh, typing in my phone number. Fingerprint. Okay, it's <laughs> probably going to reveal the company, but go on. That that's all I. That's all I really remember interacting with them. Okay, you pay them. Do they? Do they call you a month in to see how it's going? No, they send me emails every now and then that have some glossy image that aren't super relevant. And are they targeted at all to you? No, I'm not unsubscribed. Are these like globally sent out? I'm sure. Emails? So I worked on email marketing and scripts. <laughs> and I remember looking at this and being like, this is trash. Like, this is not a bad thing at all. So in fitness, targeted local emails have are responsible for 18 times more revenue than globally sent out or like nationally sent out. But it's like that number is insane. And that's another huge opportunity. Right. Every club could have one person, if it's a big club, doing targeted emails that would generate insane amounts of revenue versus like, here's this pre-workout for $34.99, not $39.99. Right. Right. It's crazy. (laughs) Okay. So you've been a member for, let's say, six months. do you feel like you're set up for success or are you kind of like learning on the fly? <laughs> Honestly, a lot of what I learned about working out was from working out with you. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's like, so if anything, I was set up for success could be because we live four blocks from each other. Yeah. Okay. But set up success by them. Okay. Um, so what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is like, the customer journey of a lay person at kind of like a medium, low to medium price point gym, mm-hmm. which is what you would fit into here. Mm-hmm. Did it seem like anybody there knew who you were? No. Did you feel a sense of community in the gym? No, absolutely not. Was it clean? Yeah. yeah. It's okay. kind of weird, but yeah, it was clean. Okay. Was the equipment usually working? Yes. Okay. Was the staff friendly? They weren't unfriendly. Yeah. So no, No. (laughs) not like outwardly. Um, Did you ever spend any money on um, secondary services like personal training, nutrition, anything like that? I think I brought bought a protein shake one time. Okay. It's just it's just interesting to hear it. It's like it's such a bummer. Because I know that this is what the average person is yeah, experiencing. Absolutely. It's like you are totally representative of the average person. And um, it's just, 
it's kind of like disheartening as someone who like cares about the industry. And like, I talk to people who are super pumped up about like keeping people in the gym because their goal is to get them healthier and keep them that way. Mm -hmm. When you hear that the average person is not getting that, it just kind of sucks. Sure. So when you decided it was time to leave that gym, Mm -hmm. what was your experience like there? Um, so the background is that I was leaving for a long trip. Yeah. Um, actually, no, no, no. I left, I left earlier because my work moved locations. Uh-huh. We got, so, and meanwhile, through all this, you know, I've been in this gym for five years. Mm-hmm. It's just so happened that I've been able to go from this office, gym that used to be close to work, the one that used to be close to my home, mm-hmm. to now one that's close to my home. Okay. So they had proximity meetings the whole time, which yep. is why I kept it. Yeah. Um, but now our gym at work. Mm-hmm. And now we have a, a gym at work. Yeah. So I threw it on my to-do list, like cancel gym membership. Yeah. And I just like, I don't like doing that stuff. I don't like like going through a rigmarole to cancel. Like it already makes me feel kind of, que- like, kind of queasy. Okay. Um, and I remember going into a conference room and I got, I'm like wincing remembering this. It wasn't that bad, but I just like, I hate, it's so awkward to cancel a membership. Uh, uh, with my phone, because you had to call. Yeah. You had to call them to cancel. You couldn't cancel online. You couldn't, you just have a way of managing that. Machine. Yeah. So I called them. I remember the person was reasonably nice, but like, I'm pretty sure I brought my laptop to distract me, which is like on Facebook or something like, uh-huh. while I was calling. Uh-huh. Um, and because I knew they were going to upsell me like four different ways. And yeah. I was just ready to just hit them with no. <laughs> okay. Um, so it was like, you know, do you want to pause your membership? And no. And it's like, well, we can offer you a discount. If some, you know, ordinarily we charge this, we'll offer this. And mm-hmm. like, no. Uh, and it's like, well, um, you, I think, I think this is like, you do know that if you sign up for a gym again, you're going to have to pay another fee. I guess so, okay. Um, I'm gonna say okay, like we'll cancel your membership. And I was like, okay, thank you. Yeah. Did they get any information on you about why you were leaving? I think I just said, yeah, they 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 must have. Cause I remember saying at some point, uh, there's a gym at work. Ah, okay. Yeah. So that's something. Yeah. Um, so trying to save a membership is like it's what you do. Right. And around 10% of memberships get saved like that. So there is some ROI to making at least trying to keep the person in the business of course but the downside is it gives you this queasy feeling right and that is a touch point for their brand to either make the experience good or bad for you right so i mean would you ever join this particular gym again knowing that you have to go through that at some point so that's the thing is that like now i'm back from this long trip I should I should be going to the gym. Yeah. Like I do exercise. Yeah. Um, but like the thing I, I realized I've had this mental block about going because I, I remember them saying, like, you realize if you just sign up again, you're gonna have to pay some fee. It's <laughs> like, I don't want to pay the fee. Like I'll just do push-ups at home. <laughs> so and so like my entire consulting company is based, I mean, ultimately there's a much bigger vision to it, but like there are plenty of places where there's one big box gym and it's the only affordable option for people. They can't afford like a micro fitness boutique CrossFit gym that's $200 a month. Right. 
they can only pay $40 a month. And their choice is either not going to the gym or going to this gym. Right. And ultimately, as someone who's for health, you want people to go to the gym and you want the gym to be able to service them, but also make money off that. Right. So it's this like, they're, they've lost so much opportunity just with you and like there are a million yous right. in their target market. You lose so much opportunity by putting pain points in the leaving process mm -hmm. and not getting to know your customers and why they're actually there. Right. And if they said like, okay, when you want to come back, like we'll waive the initiation fee. Right. Would you be a member there again? Probably, yeah. And like the thing <laughs> is, is like that's like such horrible training. Why right. would you train someone to say that? Like, yeah, it was not it was not effective. And like if they had known I mean, they would have no way of knowing this, but they haven't, you know, like, I think I left the gym, I don't know, eight months ago. Mm -hmm. Like, if they have followed up with me, it's been, like, a, some garbage email campaign. Mm -hmm. I think I already unsubscribed. So, I don't know if they can email me again. Have they, like, called you? Hmm. Interesting. And if they called, I wouldn't answer it, because it'd be from a random number. Like if, we're being, if I'm being honest, yeah. Like if we go to voicemail, I wouldn't even listen to the voicemail. I would just wait for the thing to transcribe it. And then delete it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they've lost you. Pretty much, you're out. Um, okay, so understanding. I'm just checking time here. Um, oh, we're good. So understanding everything that was like your experience with fitness with a big box gym. What opportunities do you see? presenting themselves for fitness companies to, to like model after tech companies, software companies, kind of like the ones that are crushing it in terms of retention. Sure. Or like innovating in terms of retention. Sure. So um, let's just assume you have a great product. Yeah. Like let's just assume your gym is great. Yeah. Uh, start there. Yeah. Because that's, I think, my opinion is that the best marketing is a good product. Yeah. And that's the best. hundred percent. I totally agree. So let's just, let's just call, say that's true. It's a good gym. Um, I would say some obvious ones uh, that I think about from the tech world are email campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, like I would rather have an all text email that's relevant to me than some glossy photograph of something. Hmm. Like for, for sure. And more people I would guess are probably going to read that if it's written from the founder or some lead manager of the gym or whatever, mm. like a real person. Hmm. Like all, all text. Just text. Interesting. I would okay. like, you can, I mean, you can A-B test it. And try yeah. It all yeah. Stuff. But like, I think the personal connection is important for at least one of the emails. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay, keep going. And so, then I'll, I'll ask you some follow-up. So, I think about an email campaign. Mm -hmm. um, I think about really trying to understand the reasons of why people, so let me, let me step back. Email campaign is the solution to some problem. Yeah. And I think it's more important to figure out the problem, yeah. why people are leaving. Yeah. Um, and that can be done by the things we talked about earlier, surveys, in-person studies, uh, gathering feedback on cancellation. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that's important. Um, I think honestly, just like you can't be, a, you can't be afraid of the data would be the main point. You have to be collecting data mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to look at it and you're going to have to have some 
hard conversations about things that you aren't doing well. Mm -hmm. That that would be one. Like you you would need to be a little bit more. Like I think tech companies have to be kind of ruthlessly tactical. Yeah. And really being able to challenge different norms that exist. Yeah. So kind of on that note, like I've been a Netflix customer for three years. I've never met someone that worked at Netflix. I've never talked to someone that worked at Netflix. But if you work at a gym, my kind of like my company and my idea is based on matching people with the problems that you're experiencing and that you're seeing in the data. Right. And there are people who love fitness that are in customer service. And if you assign them a specific task that matches with their career objective based on data that you're seeing and you're like, hey, how can we solve this problem? Come to this meeting, meet management. Like, I want you to lead this. That's an opportunity to keep more people at your gym, build up a leader within the company and like empower the entire team. So it's just like when you say like have a be tactical with the data, that's the biggest thing that I think is like getting to the root reason and then root cause of a problem and then matching someone to solve that problem sure. by empowering them. Yeah, of course. So, okay. So what else? Like that's a really easy to understand one. Are there any other like opportunities that you think? based on your experience in both worlds, you can see? Um, okay, let's, let's take an example. Yeah. Um, so why do you stick with Netflix? Um, because I like the content, obviously, good product. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know what, if I looked at like all of the other solutions, I bet there's something that I would like more. It's a big name. I know that all of my content is going to stream perfectly. Mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. It's affordable and it completely justifies the cost. Right. But it's low price. So it might be like 15 bucks a month. I don't even know what I pay for it. Right. 15 bucks a month. Um, whereas some gyms are $300 a month. So they have to do a little bit more. Right. Okay. But why, why do you ask? Do you remember the last time they sent you an email or something like that? No. So that's like I was going to counter my own point earlier. Is mm-hmm. that like you can use email, but mm-hmm. actually, like Netflix's email program, I think is garbage. Like it doesn't really exist. Uh-huh. But it doesn't matter because their product's so good. Yeah. And the reason their product's so good is because they've done all these tactical things already. Yeah. Like they spend a ton of time up front trying to personalize the experience for you. Like you probably haven't run through the first. Like you, you're not a new user. No. So you probably don't, I'll bet you it's changed drastically, the personalization exercise mm-hmm. um, since you signed up. Mm-hmm. But Netflix knows so well the content that you like because mm-hmm. they have years of viewing habits mm-hmm. that they can recommend you really good stuff. Like, do gyms do that? No. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the community aspect right. that you pay for when you go to a CrossFit gym. Like when you go to a a really good gym and you say like, Hey, I'm John, I'm from Wisconsin. The owner and the coaches write down John is from Wisconsin. They think, and they look like, okay, there's three people in either the 5:30 or 6:30 PM class, Tuesday, Thursday, they're from Wisconsin. Why don't you come check that class out? Boom. You've built in community in five minutes. Right. So like, it's just, 
I mean, that is personalizing the experience yeah, to absolutely. a certain extent. Um, Which I would say the gyms I'm thinking of that I've done, like, I don't remember what behavioral habits they collected on. Uh, probably just usage, yeah. time of day, right. that kind of thing. But no, but, I mean, they probably, like, did you ever have anybody come over to you and be like, hey, just want to check how your workout's going. Like, if you have any feedback, let me know. No. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I went to that gym hundreds of times. But if you went to a restaurant and the manager came out and said, hey, I just wanted to check on your meal. Let me know if you need anything, have any feedback. Like, we're really excited to have you here. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, just let me know. You'd probably eat at that restaurant again, even if the food wasn't fantastic. Be more likely to, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, anyway. Um, I think that there's a ton of opportunity, and I think this conversation kind of like makes me want to talk to, I want to talk to a lot of software companies mm -hmm. because they operate at like the 88 to like 92% retention rate year over year because their products kick ass and because they also have like, customer success teams, customer success managers that make sure the people that use their product are successful using their product. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, a huge opportunity. Wait, so gyms don't have people that like give feedback, like, like collect feedback on the gym and bring and entire management? Act on it? Yeah. Not as much as you might think. Really? Yeah, uh, kind of silly. I don't, I haven't come across any that have, like every gym has like five salespeople mm -hmm. and maybe one person working on client or customer member success. Yeah, that seems silly. And it should be at least maybe like two salespeople to one, yeah. but it's, that's common set is nine times more expensive to acquire a customer than it is to keep one in fitness. Right. And like the salespeople should be the ones being customer success to some. Yes. Yeah, to a certain extent. Yes. I mean, no, 100%. Like once some, my, my idea is that once someone, re, like they get comped when you sign up, mm -hmm. like because obviously it's commission, it's a sales position. But then once you reach the point where your membership has become profitable for the company, then they get comped again. Yeah. But that's not, that. there's nowhere. Really? Very few places that do that. Interesting. So you sell shit memberships, you get your full comp, the person leaves after two months because right. it's a bad membership to sell someone because their needs don't justify the value that your company brings to that specific person. And then you just ate your entire customer acquisition cost plus sales commission. Right, because the most expensive customer is the one who's new, who's gonna try your service yeah. five or six times in the yeah. first month and cancel. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's crazy, it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, I digress. So I wanted to thank Alex Korczynski for coming on the fitness retention podcast called the lighting's not great in here. Huh? <laughs> it's too late to talk about lighting. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we have a ton in fitness to learn from other companies that really understand their customers, understand why they're using their product. Um, so I'm going to do more research on this, but thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. One last question for you. Yeah. Did you make the chair higher to see more? No, no, I looked over and I realized like I'm like half a head shorter, like shorter. I mean, I chose this chair, right? <laughs> uh, but no, I did not make it so that I'm taller. Like, I'm like literally looking up. <laughs> He's six four, I'm six two. Um, all right, we're gonna wrap with that. Really good stuff. All right.
Fitness Retention Podcast. Adios.